welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of The Modern Extractor. This podcast focuses on the processes, equipment, and science found inside a cannabis extraction laboratory. I'm your host, Jason Showard, and I work professionally in the cannabis extraction field. In Season 1, we followed material through an ethanol extraction lab, starting with biomass and following it all the way through to distillate and isolate. We stopped at each stage along the way and picked it apart with an industry expert guest. In season two, we did the same, but with hydrocarbon extraction and all the craft concentrates that that style can produce. Here in season three, it's going to be less of a step-by-step walk through a lab, and we're opening up the format to be able to cover all the interesting things happening in the extraction and cannabis lab science space today. For this week's show, I'm joined by a man whose work has made quite a mark on the science of modern CO2 extraction. He's got a passion for preserving terpene profiles, and it's no surprise he's won over a dozen first-place finishes in competition. He's made significant advancements in beverage emulsions and cannabis product formulations and has produced quite a catalog of cannabis-containing products over the years. Today, he'll take us through the intricacies of CO2 extraction. Randy Reed, welcome to The Modern Extractor. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jason. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show today. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from my office in King City, California. We're um, in the Central Coast area, Monterey County, in the beautiful Salinas Valley. Yeah, that is a a beautiful part of the world. I was born in the Monterey area. I like it up there. Oh, right on. Yeah. So talk to me about what your path into into the extraction industry looked like. Yeah. So, um, I mean, first of all, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not an OG. I've been in the game for a minute, but... I'm definitely not an OG. I have a lot of respect for the OGs out there. So I always try to preface it when I say, you know, that I've been in in the extraction industry for 20 years, literally. Um, I started out in the the black market, the heritage market, then to the gray market, medical market, and then um, into the rec market in about 2014 was when I transitioned over. It's been quite a journey. Um, I think I kind of owe my my tinkering genes to my dad. Um, he was an electrical engineer. So I, I, I just grew up around tools and, and things and love to take things apart and put them back together and make them better. So that's, that's kind of where I got my tinkering gene from. Um, I moved to the mainland in 97 to study sports science, then went to um, University of Washington, finished up, got my BA in um, interdisciplinary arts and sciences um, through college, you know, just like a lot of cannabis people, I, you know, that's kind of where I started in cannabis, really, um, dealing bags, um, just for extra cash that, and, and slang and pizzas. <laughs> um, and after I graduated, I kept doing it, you know, moved up to elbows and bigger things. And then, um, when medical came around in about 2011, I co-founded one of Seattle's first brick and mortar medical marijuana collectives. And that's when I got into like commercial processing. Um, back then it was, uh, you know, I was looking at um, just concentrating down uh, cannabis flower because uh, myself and the patients we were serving just needed more, you know, higher concentrations. Um, CBD was coming in into the market back then um, as like Harlequin, ACDC, Canatonic. We were getting those cuts coming, coming up from California what year is this? This is like 2010, 2011. Okay. And that, for me, I was a patient, and that really was 
kind of the beginning of my journey into extraction because I was smoking the flour and it really helped for my medical needs. Um, but then I was smoking flour like all day long and I had another job and other businesses and I just couldn't smell like a pound everywhere <laughs> I went, but the yeah. benefits were real. Um, so then I, I started looking to extraction and, and, um, I mean, I was open blasting and, you know, out of plastic tubes into Pyrex dishes back in 2000 and dry sifting and pressing tabs and that sort of thing. But really it was like when I had the medical, um, dispensary collective, if you will, um, that I got more into like the commercial scale. So I, back then it was like the Timesium or Timesium or whatever it was. Um, that was like the rig, um, but it's so expensive. And I was like, what, for what this does, it was like, eh, it's not, I, I didn't want to spring for it. So I just started digging around and I found the skunk farm, you know, mad respect to uh, JD and Grey Wolf and Carla and whatnot. Um, that's where I got the design for like, and I built my own Mark one. Um, I went down to the skunk farm and learned from, from them. Um, and that was, that was my intro to hydrocarbons um this was again 2011 2012 at this point man i love hearing that i just had jd on the show we released uh we released his episode yesterday and we yeah. heard all about the mark one yeah no he's he's awesome i mean to be able to sit down in a room with him and just pick his brain and and break bread is super cool I, i've done that on he probably doesn't remember me because he's had so many students but i was one of them um him and, and Carla eloquent solution was the other um, woman at the skunk farm um, and, and farmer Joe. But anyways, uh, that, that was closed loop hydrocarbon extraction. And like literally people were blowing themselves up back then. So it was a little, it was a little hairy. So it, when I started looking into scaling that process up and then we're dealing with more weight, you have a couple of close calls. I, I started to look into other things and then we legalized in Washington state in 2012 for adult use. And I actually voted against it um, because I was in the medical market, right? As many did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but anyways, you know, the writing was on the wall and un unfortunately it squashed the medical market and it, a lot of people, patients suffered. But anyways, we, I ended up transitioning over to the rec side and really when, when it came to wreck, I saw a bunch of capital coming into the market and, and I thought about, you know, I, I want to do this as a career. At that point, I'd already had a medical marijuana dispensary that I had founded and, you know, launched and gone off the ground and whatnot. And I was, I was looking at getting rid of my other businesses that I had, um, as a paint contractor, you know, after pizza delivery driving, it was painting houses in college. So I just kept going with that. The weed <laughs> sounds a little more interesting. Yeah. But, you know, as a paint contractor, it's interesting. I dealt with a lot of high pressure systems. I had built um, this paint recycling system. I'm always, I, I'm into green sustainable business and I built this paint recycling system. I've, I, I won awards for that paint recycling system. We'd recycle thousands, tens of thousands of gallons of paint and I would resell it and uh, donated over 10,000 gallons to charity. Um, so that was pretty cool. But a lot of that process I'm, I'm a process person so whether it's painting a house or extracting cannabis i'm gonna you know look at how the most efficient way to do it is and kind of take the knowledge before and try to you know innovate and see how we can optimize but 
it, it was it was no different. So a lot of that stuff, those high pressure hydraulic systems and whatnot, I wasn't afraid of working at you know a thousand plus psi because my paint pumps were doing exactly that. Um, so when when I looked at uh, the opportunity with with the rec market, adult use coming online in 2012, I started writing these business plans for like manufacturing because I was like, we've never seen this kind of capital before. You know, we're in these garages and these clandestine labs using literally surplus um, university equipment and whatnot. I, I bought my first vacuum oven for like 75 bucks from UW surplus. Nice. And what a, what a honeypot of equipment. Like <laughs> got so much cool lab gear. I got centrifuges from, um, um, of course, pumps, you, you name it. I, I would go to, I was at that, that surplus store every, every week, man. <laughs> I bet all that stuff doesn't exist anymore now that everybody knows what's up. Oh man. Yeah. I tried to keep it on lock, but yeah, the, the secret's out, you know, <laughs> but yeah, long story short, it's like when, when the opportunity came for adult use, I was like, manufacturing is where the innovation is going to be. Um, I mean, cause retail is retail and I mean, no, no knock on, on what retail does. There's a lot of innovation that has, that has been seeing there and realize same with, um, you know, cultivation at the time I was like, it's just going to become big ag. Right. But you know, 10, almost 10 years in now it's, it's a whole different thing to where the innovation is. There's innovation in every single stage now in the, in the value chain. But like back then I was like manufacturing really excited me. So I was writing up these plans to like for these cannabis plants, like to where we would, you know, I had a truck of cannabis coming in and we would bucket, strip it down, mill it, extract it, turn it into pre-rolls and all these other products, but manufactured products. Mm -hmm. um, and I was pitching that around town. And then I ended up um, meeting a group that was working on a cannabis soda project and I was like, you guys are crazy, but good kind of crazy. And I was like, <laughs> cool, I'll, I'll jump on board with that. They had, a, you know, they already had raised a couple million bucks. And I was like, holy smokes, this is some, this is real. Um, so they, they needed a person like myself to come in and help design the process, build out a lab. So I did that. Um, we chose CO2 back then. Um, I'm still a CO2 guy. And that's why I'm here talking about it. Um, but yeah, looking at it back then, it was the opportunity to get out of hydrocarbons, which at the time was, was dangerous. Um, and nowadays, you know, people do it very safely and it's a, it's, it's great for what it is. Um, but yeah, so back then I was like for CO2 and that's where, that's where I got into CO2 and it's the rest is history really. So I'm right six on. years, six years in now at Lehua. Well, your your work in CO2 has earned you a bunch of awards. Uh, you've got over a dozen first place finishes and competitions. Uh, talk to me a little bit more about what the trophy case looks like. Don't be humble. Tell us about it. What's going on? Yeah. Um, the Yeah. I mean, it's it's been quite a journey, man. It's <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you know, we we entered in these open categories. Um, it was part of kind of when I got hired on, um, my, my co-founder now at the time, she was like, you know, Randy, your job is to go out there, compete and, and win, you know? And that is fantastic. Yeah. And, and that became part of, part of what I did was competing just because it was so early. And that's like, if you want to be, you know, the best, you got to surround yourself with the best. Right. And so that's, that was our way of getting out there because we were new in the space at the time. 
um, and just kind of rubbing shoulders with with the best, learning from each other, and just you know rising the tide, pushing pushing the bar. But we we did really good, and we'll continue to compete here in California. Nice. Um, it's it's just the way it, I think it's part of our DNA here at, at Lehua to to compete. I mean, it's a competitive industry, but it, there's also just right like iron sharpens iron or whatever steel sharpens steel whatever the saying yeah, yeah. is you know and that's you just got to do it um there's a bunch of extractors out there listening i'm sure that i just can't imagine being told your job is to do the best job you can do and compete and win you know there's so much of the business side of things that that's out there right now that people are are competing with you know you have to produce more you have to you know produce at the right cost and all of this and there's a lot of people that would just absolutely love to hear that i'm sure yeah no it was it was a great run i'm we're gonna try to do it again here in california like i said but you know it's a competitive market man so it's it keeps us on our toes um yeah no we've we've got Awards for cartridges, um, THC, CBD, dabables, beverages, all, all kinds of good stuff. Right on. So, well, talk to me a little bit about the days. You know, you're you're learning from Gray Wolf and Carla and Farmer Joe. You're out there at Skunk Farm, uh, finding out all this stuff about hydrocarbon, um, and then all of a sudden, it's time to set up your own shop and your interest goes towards CO2. What was yeah. it that drew you towards CO2 over the hydrocarbons that you already knew about? That's a, yeah, good question. Um, to me, it was, it was safety first and foremost. Like I was trying to build a career or, you know, that, that's what I wanted to do was build a career in cannabis extraction and manufacturing. And I was really intent on that. And then I, I knew from my previous jobs and and industry i was in the again a painting contractor i dealt with a lot of hazardous chemicals um i dealt with you know cancer in my family um and it's i want to be healthy and i want the the environment to that i that i work in and the industry that i build my career and to be healthy and and um that's why i got into green paint and and all these these other things sustainability um so co2 ticked a lot of those boxes um it was safe to work around. Um, even the high pressure was not an issue for me. I, I was very familiar with working with high pressure fluid systems. So that was fine. And um, the the ability to innovate and tinker, like I, I had seen the CO2 machines back then were really expensive. I mean, they still are. But what I saw was that these people would buy these machines, but they didn't have enough money to build out the rest of the lab and the process pre and post. So you kind of just you're stuck with that, you know. Um, the way I looked at it was like, hey, I got a, I got a blank checkbook. Um, I got I got founders, co-founders that are totally supportive of innovation and producing the best extract out there, the best products. So when I looked at like hydrocarbon, I was like, a lot has been done there already at that time. Like it already makes a really good live resin, but like CO2 just hasn't been able to do that back then. So I really saw an opportunity to kind of innovate because the platform just, it was expensive um, back then to, to be able to have that sort of innovation. So that's what attracted me to it. You're making a lot of people jealous out there, blank checks and getting told to be the best. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) congratulations, man. That is a, that's a hell of a story. Thanks man. Timing is everything. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, your preferred CO2 system to work with, do you have a, a brand preference there? 
Yeah, um, I've been using an Eden Labs 20 liter high flow from the beginning. It's uh, Eden Labs was founded in in Seattle. Um, they they're they've always just made really good high quality equipment. Um, it's bulletproof. It's it's a manual system which I prefer over an automated system. It just gives gives the user so much more control, and it's really easy to troubleshoot when when things do go wrong, which is which is rarely. Um, we run our system 24/7, literally. It doesn't stop pumping. Um, I've only had to replace one pump on it in six years, and that's just because I was training somebody new. <laughs> wow, that's amazing! Yeah, it's a great system. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about it. This being an audio-only format, people can't exactly go and Google it while they're uh, while they're driving or doing whatever they're doing while they're listening to the show. So set the scene for us a little bit here. If I'm going to walk up to your Eden Labs 20 liter system, what am I going to what am I going to see when I walk up to it? You're going to see a lot of stainless steel. Um, I like that high pressure high pressure vessels. Yeah, right. We're all attracted to that shiny stuff. Um, so starting from the right to the left, um, if you're facing the machine on the right, you're going to have um, the CO2 tanks. So you can use 50-pound tanks or 100-pound tanks. These are going to be beverage-grade, food-grade um, CO2, just like you would have on the beer tap or whatnot or a soda fountain. Um, and then working over to the left, the next um, tank would be on a rack, and that's going to be the accumulator tank. They're all going to be jacketed. So this accumulator tank is going to be fully jacketed. It's going to be chilled with an ancillary chiller that you can set on the side of the machine or outside of the, the, the room or whatnot. Um, we have ours right next to the machine. It's fine. Um, it's not in a, a C1, D1 or whatnot. There's no requirement for that sort, even C1, D2 for CO2 in, in California. Um, it just needs to have an exhaust fan and a sniffer um, kind of CO2 meter. That right there is a huge perk for CO2. Yeah. I mean, the, the facility setup in general for any of these other forms of extraction is going to be such a bear to deal with that that's a huge yeah. perk it's it's been really easy to get co2 when that was part of the reason when we chose co2 part of it was because we had a multi-state strategy so it was like what's going to be easily you know transferable state, state to state to state and co2 just ticked that box you know so it, mm -hmm. it and it, it proved out here in california we brought we brought our machine down plugged it right in and and told the city we're going there uh, the fire marshal gave it the blessing very easy. So um, that that was a huge benefit. Yeah, I'm sure they're stoked to see uh, that you don't have a whole bunch of uh, cylinders with flammable uh, stickers all over them and all that. Yeah, no, totally. And then that goes for the lab too. Like when I when I was designing out a lab, I did the same thing with the painting to talk about painting. <laughs> I did the same thing with the painting company. It was like, there's a point in my career there. I, I was 12 years as a painting contractor, built out a nice business. But there's a point to where I chose to get rid of all my solvents, um, my organic solvents, and use water-based paints, right? And develop ways and methods to, to do that in a manner that would rival what we were using with organic solvents and oil-based paints. Um, so I did the same thing with this lab, you know, because I wanted my employees back then, my painters, myself included, to be healthy and safe and be able to do it for a long time. So... Um, you know, working with things like on the paint side, you know, naphtha, xylene, um, denatured, uh, you know, these these kind of nasty chemicals um, and solvents. I just was, 
there's a point in time. I mean, you meet a lot of old timers in that industry and they're pickled, you know? <laughs> so I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm, if I want to be doing this for a long time, I, I probably want to, and, and the technology is absolutely there. So I, I just, I took that, that concept into, into my, my career here in cannabis. And when designing out our lab, I was like, I don't want anything hazard in, hazardous in there that, you know, potentially could ruin somebody's life, you know, if they, ingest it or inhale it or whatnot. So our, our lab, literally our, our chemical dis- disclosure sheet is food grade ethanol and CO2. That's it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's circle back a little bit here to uh, what, we're, what we're looking at when we walk up to your machine. So yeah. we've got a CO2 cylinder, similar to what you might find at a, at a restaurant to power their soda machine or something like that, but probably a little bit bigger, right? Yep. Uh, and then you've got your material column. Uh, I think that's where we, where we left off. Okay, so um, it's, uh, let's see, not the material column. That's on the far left. So working, working right to left, you have the accumulator, um, which is chilled. And that just is for um, recondensing the gas into a liquid, the CO2 gas into a liquid. And then moving to the left on that same rack, you have a separator vessel. Um, one that's separator number two, and then moving over to the left, a little bit larger vessel. These are about like, uh, the spool is uh, four by four inch spool by three, three feet. And then the next one is six inch spool by three feet. So those are your two separator columns. These vessels operate at about 600 to a thousand PSI. Um, the accumulator to the right operates at about six, about the same six, six to nine, six to a thousand psi. The two separator vessels are jacketed for heat. Um, on the top of them, there's there's valving and whatnot. Um, and then to the left of the separator vessels, on the end of the rack, to the far left, you have the twenty liter um, extraction vessel or extraction column, material column. Um, that is approximately four feet tall and it's about an eight inch spool. Um, and we can pack about, uh, if it's, if it's really finely ground dried material, you can pack about 20 pounds in that thing if you get down on it. But on the regular, we pack about an average of 10 to 15 pounds per, per run. Okay. And there's all these, there's valving all over the place and these, uh, cooling towers, PMP cooling towers and things, but it's just a series of, of of high pressure columns and vessels on a rack basically. Gotcha. Well, let's, let's actually talk about how this system works now. Um, I know there's a ton of folks that are in extraction and CO2 is still kind of the, uh, the thing they know about, but don't really know about. So I'd like to, to open some eyes here. Um, give me a rundown of what it's like. You walk up to your machine and we're going to run some material. Let's start with the, the material you decide to run and how you're going to prep that material. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, what the system's doing, you know, with these different separator columns and all that. Uh, walk us through how this thing works. Sure. Um, so we like, with CO2, we, we like a really fine grind. Um, there's been some great work by uh, Dr. Marcus Rogan on kind of mill, mill size optimization that he as a white paper with with uh, fits the material kind of grinding milling thing um even before that paper came out we were we were just anecdotally well not exactly anecdotally i mean we're we're 
qualitatively <laughs> assessing our, our, our process, um, we noticed that a really fine grind, you get better yields, but that you get, you know, other stuff that comes through and gets co-extracted as well. So mm-hmm. that that's where the fractionation comes in. But nonetheless, if you're going to pack the column, we like to pack as much as we can in there. So it's very different than, you know, hydrocarbon, live resin, or ethanol for that matter. We like a really, really fine grind, almost powdery. And then we can pack the heck out of it because we're working with high pressure, supercritical fluid. Um, the nature of that solvent system allows it to get into these really tightly packed columns and extract very efficiently. So we would mill down really fine. And there's there's other ways of, if you're doing raw or crude style or, or EV, EVFO style um, um, CO2 extraction, then, you know, you're not going to want to mill as fine. Um, but anyways, we, we pack the column up um, just like you do with any other extraction method, hydrocarbons, ethanol, whatever you pack a column, a sock or whatnot, put the material in there. And then it's a matter of, of soaking and running the solvent through the, through the cannabis matrix. Um, so we do that by pumping up to uh, subcritical, which is a thousand and below PSI. Um, and then temperature is going to be in the range of about 80 to hundred and then um, working up through the range up to about 2,000 psi, landing at about 100 to 120 um, Fahrenheit on the heating jacket. Um, the, the CO2 is going to get pumped through that material column. Um, it's going to come out. Well, let me let me stop you for one second here. I, I'm 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 missing a part here. Okay. So you've got your CO2 tank. Yep. And there were a few columns between that tank and yep. your extraction column. Yep. So are those separators, at first I was thinking that those separators are for taking different fractions. Yes. Okay, so then. They are, yeah, they're downstream of the extraction vessel. Gotcha. So you're so you're pumping in fresh fresh CO2, liquid CO2. This is a liquid pumping system. The Apex system and other systems have both uh, gaseous and liquid pumps. Um, the Eden system rerun is a liquid pump. It's super simple and it's it's a lo- it's it's more robust and it's just more dependable system from what I've seen versus the diaphragm. The diaphragm is nice for for doing really low pressure extraction. Um, when CO2 is in lower pressures, um, it's gaseous, right? So you need to have a gaseous pump to move it. Um, and that's where the diaphragms come in. These things are massive. You got to change, change out the seals on them frequently, but they, they allow the system to operate in these lower pressure ranges. And that's where you're going to get these nice terpene fractions. We have other ways around it in, in our liquid pumping system. But, um, so anyways, we're pumping liquid into the extraction column liquid CO2 into its extraction column. Straight out of the tank. Right out of the tank or right out of the accumulator. When we're right in clo- out of the- yeah, when we're in closed loop mode, the accumulator is going to be our, our recycling tank, if you will. Okay. So we're going right out of the accumulator. Um, fresh liquid CO2 is going to get pumped up through that material column. Um, that's where the extraction happens. In that material column, we're manipulating temperature, pressure, and flow. And those are going to be our three levers we're going to pull on to be able to manipulate what sort of fractions we're going after. Um, it's, it's 
it's a little bit like chromatography, but not really. <laughs> you're gonna get you're gonna get this illusion kind of happening if you keep your 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 constants constant, and the fractions will elude out just like you would in chromatography at various rates based on you know their affinity at mm -hmm. that particular setting, so on and so forth. Um, so it's a little bit like that, but think of that in like, but you're dealing with crude. Okay. So, so we're going in, we're adjusting um, temperature, pressure, and flow. And then we're pulling out the fractions based on timing and, and flow rate. Um, so when the, when the CO2 gets pumped through that column, it's going to pick up depending on what phase it's in, whether it's in your subcritical phase or your supercritical phase, just to oversimplify. Um, it'll pick up these various constituents based on its affinity and, and kind of its its state or its phase, whether it's in its gaseous phase, its liquid phase, its supercritical phase. Those are kind of the three phases we work with within CO2. So from a process flow standpoint, from your accumulator tank, you're filling your extraction column mm -hmm. and then uh, steeping the material in that column and soaking it? Or is there a valve that's closed after that column before it allows your, uh, your, your gas or your liquid that's holding the cannabinoids or the terpenes or whatever you're collecting yep. into those other collection tanks? Yeah, so that's a good question. This is what's a little bit different about CO2 is that the closed loop system is continually pumping material through that column. So you don't really need to steep. In fact, CO2, because of its molecular structure, doesn't have a lot of hooks in it. You know, it doesn't, it can't pick up as much as a hydrocarbon could. So you got to pump a lot of it through that column. And that's why you have these long run times. And that's where flow rate really comes in. Um, so these new systems now with high flow rates really solve that problem of longer run times. So anyways, the, the, the solvent is continually pumping through the material. Um, and in between that, is a needle valve. And that's where you're adjusting back pressure. So you have your, your high pressure side, which is upstream of that needle valve. And then your down pressure, your downstream side, which is the low pressure side, which has the two separators and the accumulator on it. So you basically have a high pressure side and a low pressure side on the skid. And the, the thing in between them is that needle valve and it's continually pumping. Okay. So, so from a process flow standpoint, the, the, um, tincture, mycelia, whatever you want to call it, is coming out of the top of that CO2, the top of the material column. It's hitting that needle valve. And then on the, that's where the pressure change happens is at that needle valve. That needle valve dumps into the first separator. Um, so it goes from, you can go from 2000 PSI to down to 600 PSI. And in that first separator is where we have, we basically we release pressure and then we add a little bit of heat to the, to the tincture. And then that distills off or sublimates off the CO2. So you're, you're collecting from that first separator. That's where that separation between the solvent and the cannabinoids or whatever fraction, your heavier fraction is going to drop out to the bottom of that separator. And then there's a valve there and that's, you just dump right out of that separator. The second separator is connected to the top of the first separator and that that headspace is is meant to um, this the second separator is really just it's kind of a safety valve to make sure you don't get any extract into the accumulator, which then can get into the pump and contaminate the pump. So just to clarify here, we're going from the accumulation tank into the extraction column 
into both of these two separator tanks back into the accumulator tank, and that is your loop that is constantly flowing. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. And the pressure differential causes whatever oils or whatever it is that you're after to collect in these separators to to turn into the oil form, and then the CO2 continues in its path. Exactly. The CO2 just just evaporates right off. Um, it, it then goes through a cooling coil um, and then hits that accumulator, which is chilled down and then pressurized, and then it turns back into a liquid, and then it just gets pumped around and around and around again. Understood. Now, how are you going to be making your decisions as far as how to to target what you're targeting uh, with your temperatures and your pressures and all of that? So that is, we kind of follow the, if you look at it from like a boiling point standpoint, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Like the lighter volatiles always will want to come off first. So we use a very light touch and that's typically in that subcritical range. And then we go after those first. We don't want them tumbling around in the system in our extract um, as it just pumps and recirculates and just sits in that collection cup getting boiled. Um, so we go through and it's it's there's so much irony in it because to to be able to kind of preserve the the native chemovar is what we call it, or the the native kind of profile of the plant. Um, our approach is taking it apart piece by piece when things want to come out. They, they're they all so different in volatility and affinity for the solvent, boiling points, whatnot, that to go in and try to grab them all, um, you can do that, but it becomes harder in the end to be able to maintain that because they're going to boil off at different points as you get rid of solvent, as you purge, as you do other, other post-processes. So with CO2, what we can do is go in and fractionate. And so we basically go after the terpenes first, then we go after the neutrals, then we go after the acidics, and then you got everything else. I'm oversimplifying, but that's kind of the the way that we go after it. And that's just been from experience and just taking fraction. It's like taking core samples. So when we first were developing the SOPs, it was like, okay, let's take a fraction every half hour and see what comes out at a a constant setting. Um, Okay, now trying to keep, you know, using the scientific method, keeping things constant, let's tweak one variable and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then just keep taking fractions out and you'll see um, how the fractions want to elude out and come out. Um, and then from there, you just know like, okay, if I run for an hour at this temperature and pressure, I get terpenes. If I run for three hours per pound, I get the acidics. You know, if I if I dial up the, the, the acidics are really hard, they they're hard to get out. They're much more stable. Think of, I mean, that's the nature of a crystalline substance. It's, mm-hmm. it's really stable. So to extract that out takes a lot of force. So we usually get those later on. And then to get the isolates, you got to get, you got to get everything before you get the isolate out or high purity type fraction. So, um, I mean, we're pulling literally crystalline THCA as testing 90 plus out of the, out of the, the separator column, but you got to go through and fractionate um, before and pull everything off off so you can go in and target that final acidic THCA fraction. I find it so interesting that the, the CO2 approach is really fractional extraction yep. as opposed to fractional distillation. Absolutely. So you're actually doing it in the extraction phase, which uh, to me, the first thing that jumps out when I think about that is you better get it right because uh, <laughs> if you don't, it's not going to work. 
<laughs> it's it's a lot more user friendly than than it seems. Um, I mean, now we I, I trained another lab tech in a day, and he's fractionating, and and I haven't seen him for two weeks now. <laughs> All right, congratulations! So, yeah. That's the dream. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty cool, and yeah, you're absolutely right. And it is fractional extraction, which which for downstream processing is is pretty cool because now you have much more pure targeted fractions to work with. So the post-processing is, can be, can be simpler. All right. Well, that, that actually kind of answered a little bit of my next question, which is, you know, CO2 is regarded as the best for control that the extractor has. What exactly about it is it that allows you to have that much more control? Is it about the solvent or is it about your your extra control you have over pressures and mm-hmm. uh, well, really just pressures that you're not going to have that amount of control with other extraction methods. Yeah. A temperature pressure and flow. Those are the, the three that we work with. Um, I mean, the amount of control is, is incredible. Like I said earlier, you can take these like core samples and just get a good lay of the land of what sort of fractions you're going to take out. Just take a, you know, run, run 1800 PSI for, you know, at a hundred degrees and take a sample every hour and see what comes out. And then your next run, you'll know, okay, like if I want to get this fraction, I can do A, B, and C and I'll, I'll be right there in the pocket. It's to me, it's just, it's that simple. Um, obviously what you start out with makes a a huge difference. You're not going to get acidics if you're not working with fresh material. Mm -hmm. Um, you're, you, if you you know if you're going for for distillate crude decarb before you go in, so you have all neutrals and you can just take a fat neutral fraction out. Um, if you're going for terps, you know the fresher the better. Um, the sort of fractions that you pull out are only as good as what you put in, obviously. But CO2 is just has this really great ability to go in and and target and pull these various constituents out. Now the process for taking one of these samples that you're going to take while your machine's running, uh, do you have to stop the loop and stop the progress of the CO2 working its way through this loop in order to take a fraction, or can you do that while it's in action? There's definitely machines that can do it in situ now when you're when you're operating, but our machine's old school. You gotta shut the needle valve. Um, you got to vent down the column, which you lose about five pounds of CO2 when you do that. But it's actually a good thing because then you replenish with fresh CO2. So you tend to, it's kind of keeps the, the CO2 topped off and fresh. Um, and then you just take a, take a fraction out. Uh, when you're good, you can, you can literally in 10 minutes pull a fraction and button that thing back up and be, be extracting again. Your uh, your reference there of fresh CO2 kind of perked my interest a bit. Mm-hmm. With some of these other styles of extraction, ethanol specifically, and in really even hydrocarbon, um, your solvent's going to pick up water from the material that you're working with. Yep. Uh, is that what you're referencing when you say fresh CO2, CO2 that hasn't picked up other stuff that's moving along with it? Yeah, that, that and the terps. Um, if you haven't ripped off the terps, um, then you're, you, the terps will kind of tumble around and, and denature, you know, polymesmerize, isomerize, whatnot. And then you get this kind of funky terp smell. So it's good to, it's good to purge off. I mean, five, five pounds every run and then just replenish that with fresh gas is cool. Um, 
that would typically be after you take your terp fraction out, then you're purging the yep. whatever remaining terps that you didn't get that are tumbling around with your CO2. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And what a little tip that we that we still do to this day is for our our um, beverages, the the terp tonics in um, particular, we would it's all strain specific, super small batch. We actually would do a, a, a gaseous um, fraction and pull that CO2 that we used, um, reclaim it into a separate tank. And then we use that CO2, which smells delicious because it's got terpenes in it. Um, and then we would use that to carbonate our, our terp tonic product. Oh man, that is a great idea. That's cool. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's awesome, man. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So then you've just got this effervescent CO2 that's, that's coming out of your carbonated beverage. It's gaseous CO2 terpene extraction. What's not to love? (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. So let's get into, uh, supercritical versus subcritical mm-hmm. and how the different phases target different parts of the plant differently. Yeah. So that's a great segue. The, the gaseous phase is going to be subcritical. So that's going to be gaseous and liquid, you know, CO2 at atmosphere um, is, is gaseous um, it, under pressure and chilled down. Um, you know, between 800 to 1,000 pounds of pressure and chilled down to room temp, it's a liquid. Um, and that's going to be the subcritical phases. Um, there's also, I think, dry ice is uh, subcritical. Somebody correct me on that. Um, but they're the solid, right? We don't, we don't really use dry ice or, or the solid phase of CO2 in, in our process. Um, but those, so those two gaseous and liquid are subcritical. Um, technically it's, uh, what is it like 183 PSI and 88 degrees Fahrenheit is going to be sub. And then above that is going to be considered supercritical. So say a thousand PSI and 88 Fahrenheit and above, you're starting to get into the supercritical range. The supercritical range is where it gets interesting and you can turn a lot of solvents into supercritical fluids. It's just really expensive or dangerous. CO2 is like, it's cheap and it's easy to get it in the supercritical range and receive the benefits of supercritical fluid properties. You can do it with other solvents. You can do it with water. You can do it with hydrocarbons. It's just expensive and dangerous, I guess. But anyway, so CO2 just, again, it ticks a lot of the boxes to, to work in that supercritical range and, and have this industrial commercial application. So the supercritical range is where the solvent has this, it's like a dense gas. It's kind of a liquid. It's kind of a gas. Um, the benefit is that it gets, it can get into all the nooks and crannies of the matrix of the material and extract. So that's why we can like pack super, I mean, I, we, I literally have a, a air pneumatic packer thing that is from the construction industry that like it's it's meant to tamp down concrete and we get up there and like brrr, like like an impact hammer <laughs> and that's how you pack pack these columns to get them into these like super super dense cores and cakes <laughs> um, and it doesn't matter because the solvent as in the supercritical fluid state can get all up in there and get everything out um, so so those are the the two ranges or phases that we work within the the subcritical range is really good at pulling out neutrals so thc cbd 
and terpenes. And depending on how much water you have in your material, um, flavonoids. As you get into the supercritical ranges, that's going to be more for your acidic CBDA and THCA. Um, you just need more power. Again, the structure of those molecules, they, they need more power to get out. So that's where the supercritical comes into, into play. So to clarify here, you're not just saying, okay, I'm in subcritical, I'm getting X, Y, and Z. I'm in supercritical, I'm getting X, Y, and Z. Within each of these uh, phases, I guess we mm-hmm. should call it, uh, yep. within each of these, there's a huge range of adjustment for you to target different constituents of this inside of each of those ranges. Okay, yep. great. Absolutely. And of course, if you go in supercritical, you, you're going in with a big net, right? You're going to get everything. Mm-hmm. But... If, you know, depending on how long you run, you're going to have your terpenes in there. They're going to be rolling around, boiling around, changing, denaturing, and you're going to get what, what I call chemovar drift if you do that. So that's why it's important to get the terpenes off first, fractionate that off, and then go in for your neutrals and acidics later. I think that's where maybe CO2 originally got a little bit of a bad name because there were a lot of people that were not very educated that were running these machines that just turned it on to supercritical and let it loose. And then Mm -hmm. what came out was what came out. Yeah. You got CO2 oil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It all tastes the same. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's because they would go in. I remember the the settings when I first got the machine were like, Oh, 1800 and like just under a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. And that's going to give you your bet. That's you just set it and you forget it. Um, that just wasn't the case. You know, we, we run from everywhere from 800 to 22, 2300 PSI. And then we run from, from minus 40 to up to 120. So there's a wide range that we work within. Gotcha. It's uh, it's your your bow and arrow versus your hand grenade as far as uh, precision goes there. (laughs) Totally. Uh, Okay, okay. So traditionally, all the control that you get with these CO2 systems comes at a cost. While you can make some really nice concentrates, uh, they can't really compete with ethanol systems on throughput. I've been reading that these new multi-phase systems may be headed towards solving that problem. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Um, there's definitely a lot of innovation happening in CO2. It's been a It's been a minute, but um, I'm seeing a lot of cool stuff. Um, the multi-phase having the the um, ethanol ability to run a, a you know different solvent system in there. What we would do back in the day is just take a, a handle of Everclear and throw it in there um, <laughs> into into the column, um, and then button it up and and run hard on on supercritical, and we would get just the most amazing crude out of it, um, and it would cut your runtime in half. So, but there's a lot of technical challenges with kind of incorporating that into a commercial system. You mean you can't use a handle of Everclear? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm seeing that now. Uh, Apex has a system. I think Vitalis has something. I mean, we, I was, I've been working on that with Eden. I think Eden had something we were working on back in the day, but it just never, never really got produced commercially. So just to understand how that might work, um, you're going to now, with a system like that, you would have your CO2 storage tank, and then you'd also have some ethanol. And then at various stages of the extraction process, maybe after you got all the lights out uh, with the uh, with the subcritical phase, uh, then you're going to flip flip a switch or do something on, on the control panel that's now going to feed, it'll purge the CO2 out and then feed ethanol separately, or will it mix the two or how does that work? 
I, you know, honestly, I haven't seen exactly how it's done with, with like the Apex system. Um, it, I, I believe it gets pulsed in um, and it gets combined with the CO2. So you're using two solvents. You don't need a lot of ethanol. It's just going to, you just need a touch of ethanol to your supercritical CO2 and it just, it just widens that range. Gotcha. It's not like ethanol traditional liquid liquid phase ethanol extraction where you've got to steep and and pass a lot of ethanol over over the material i think it's i think it's just a little bit um because again you have supercritical fluid capabilities gotcha you're just adding a little little octane booster in there make it go a little faster exactly okay so i'm i'm hearing things about inline winterization and crc for these co2 systems a lot these days are these new developments or is it just something that's kind of been around but it's getting a little more attention now so yeah that i mean it that that was like the the let's go to the moon you know to be able to winterize in line like you could with with hydrocarbons with co2 um I think it's Green Mill Labs is working on something. Eden's been working on something for years. Um, so that sort of in-situ processing, uh, that capability for inline winterization is pretty cool. That said, if you're good, you don't need to do that. You can fraction off just fine. I mean, there's there's guys like um, uh, the Reverend Cannabis, uh, Jeff. He's, he's killer and he's... He can go in and fraction off just beautiful oil fractions, terpy as heck, and you know they're they're winning all day long with that sort of um, extra virgin um, raw CO2 oil. Um, so it, it it it's in the material preparation. It's how good you know it's a tool. It's it's how good you are as a tool. But to be able to do it in line, um, man, that's that's pretty cool. That's the moonshot. Um, CRC is cool too. Um, but again you have the ability to fractionate and if you're good, you don't need CRC. Even if you start with bad starting material. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you got me on that one. <laughs> so yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. CRC. Uh, Media bros has a cool product that I, I haven't gotten the sample yet. They sent me something, but they're, they're packing uh, media into the column, which is, uh, it's like, wow. Okay. That's cool. I mean, back in the day, we we're packing three, a emulsive and the, uh, you know, diatomaceous earth, all sorts of things in the column to no avail. Um, so to have a product that they say you can do that's designed for that is interesting. I've, I've yet to try it yet, but I've, I've seen some cool things online about it. Yeah. I was talking to Vaughn Hartung about that when he, uh, when he joined me on the show, it sounds really mm-hmm. interesting. Um, to your knowledge, uh, when you pack it in the column, do you, do you pack it in just intermingled with the material you're extracting from, or would this be something where you make more of a cake at the bottom? Well, I'm looking at the bag right now. It tells you I haven't used it yet. <laughs> um, they say uh, vessel material stack two kilograms, filter material to 30 pounds of biomass. They say pack it on the top from a bottom-up flow. So they want they want you to go through the media at the, uh, end. At the end. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, we don't. Uh, we work with really high quality materials, so I don't know if I'm gonna need that, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, nothing to be bashful about there. It means yeah. that you're you're doing something right. You get to start <laughs> with good stuff. That's everybody's dream. Again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back to this uh, inline CRC and the winterization and things mm-hmm. like that. To me, this looks like you're gonna need to add more bits and parts and pieces to your rig. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the fact that CO2 runs at such high pressure uh, would make me and a, a lot of other folks out there a little less inclined to experiment with the configuration there, mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, it's a little scary. Yeah. Uh, are, are these things as modular as hydrocarbon systems are? Not not for like the user to tweak. You know, I, fortunately, I was so close to uh, to Eden Labs in Seattle um, that, I, you know, I was able to work directly with the manufacturer on mods and whatnot. And they're super cool with that. Um, they do a ton of it. So there's that as far as like modding the machine. Absolutely. But with CO2, it's a little trickier because of the pressures and the complexity, if you will, of the equipment. Um, you know, it's got to be ANSI stamped and, you know, high pressure vessels, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's a little trickier to do um, the, the sort of mods that you could do, you know, on your own as a do-it-yourselfer with, with hydrocarbons and, and ethanol for that matter. Understood. Yeah. Although, even though it's easy to clamp a bunch of stuff together with hydrocarbons, you still have to get whatever you finally come up with certified with your local jurisdiction and all of that. So, yeah, totally. it's a dodge a little bit of that with uh working with co2 i think uh as far as uh, your permitting goes yeah but that that said i mean the our system has few mods on it that um you know eden did some and i've done a lot just on my own um you get familiar with it and you know when we moved our rig down from washington to california recently i got it recertified so i had a, a chemical engineer come in and and do the whole rigmarole of certification in place and he stamped it so that's cool (laughs) that's great congratulations so nobody else has your system but you yeah (laughs) cool uh well that explains a lot (laughs) yeah but there's 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 not a lot that needs to be done to them frankly um they you again because you have they're designed to have this wide range of of workability and tunability that you don't you already have uh, as a tool uh just a pretty diverse range to be able to work within. Okay. Well, you just reminded me, I had a question earlier when you were talking and I had, uh, I'd forgotten to ask it. So um, while you are making adjustments and deciding what kind of a run you're going to do or, or when you're going to make these cuts mm-hmm. um, with many of the other forms of extraction, you've got some visual feedback to, to let you know. With this, it sounds like you've taken a bunch of fractions over time and then tested them, yep. be it at a lab or uh, tested it on yourself to see if you like what it was. Yep. But are there visual indicators that can help you make these decisions with CO2 based on what kind of biomass you're working with? Or, or, or you know, you got different input material. Yep. Now you've got a, you know, change some stuff around to get what you want out of it yeah um unfortunately it's I've, it, there is no sight glasses because of the high pressure and mm-hmm. whatnot um so yeah it's a bit of a, a luxury to have that in in other extraction methods mm-hmm. um co2 just doesn't have that yet i've i've been bugging fritz at eden if you're listening to put a camera in the <laughs> in the <laughs> separator one um that you can see the fractions coming out of the dip tube that would be super cool and not too hard to do um, <laughs> but yeah that's kind of where it stands right now but it again jason it's it's easy to to pause it for five minutes pull a fraction take you 10 minutes and you're back up and running so now this fraction that you pull out can can you get a pretty good indicator uh, once you get that fraction in a beaker and check it out, you got a pretty good in- indicator of what's going on. 
Oh yeah, totally. You can go on my, my Instagram, you can go on, uh, there's, I, I've done, I've written a lot of papers on this. Um, you can see the fractions come out. You, you can tell by viscosity, you can tell by smell, um, you can tell by color, um, texture, all, all of that. You can tell where, where the fractions are. Okay. So like the, the dab fractions will come out hard, shatter, crystalline. Um, the, you know, turf fractions are liquidy. They smell really good. They're brighter. And then the neutrals look like crude, really nice crude cannabis oil. That's a perfect segue. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about what the different final products you can make with CO2 are. Um, like we, we had talked earlier about the fractional extraction versus fractional distillation, which is Mm -hmm. really awesome. Um, what products can you produce using this fractional extraction method? Oh, tons. That's the beauty of it. So depending on, we'll, we'll determine what we're running for before we run it. Um, so for, if we're going for crude for distillation, we'll decarb it before, and then we'll go in aggressive and just grab as much yield as we can because we're going to distill it down later. Um, if we're going in for, for oil, um, we would go in. So sometimes we'll decarb before, sometimes we'll run it if the materials cured material and older and whatnot, but you can get all these different products. You can get terpenes, like really high purity terpene fractions out. Well, you know, water clears type terps coming out. You can get straight neutral fractions that are going to be 70, 80% THC, um, you can get crystalline THCA that's coming out at 80 to 90% crystalline. Um, so depending on what you're going for is how you're going to go in and rip fractions off. Um, again, for crude, we're going to decarb everything. We're going to go in and grab everything. For vape pens, we're going to decarb a little bit, but we're going to rip the terpenes before. Then you go decarb, then you repack the column, and then pull the neutrals off, and then you've got a nice neutral cannabinoid fraction and then you've got your terpenes and then you can go and post-process however you want and then compound and formulate your final product. For dabbables, typically what we do is work with fresher material because we want more of the acidics, THCA, um, which is going to have that crystalline structure and give dabs texture, which we all like and love. But to get there, we would rip off the terpenes first, rip off the neutrals and then go after THCA and then we would make our dab product by recombining some of the neutral, some of the terpenes, and then predominantly THCA to create our dab products. Those are the extracted products for inhalation, um, for, for food grade type oil manufacturing, full spectrum. Again, we like to rip off the terpenes because I, I want the food product to have the flavor Unless it's like a terp tonic, then we're keeping the terps in there and blah, blah, blah. But but primarily for, for like when we're doing edible oil, we will remove as much terpenes as possible and then run through our, our process of creating that full spectrum edible oil. There's a number of downstream processes there to get it into beverages, into K-cups, into coffee, crystal powderized, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we'll jump into that in just a second here. Uh, I wanted to cover one more thing before we get there which is your concept here of chemovar drift and your ability to be able to have a terpene profile that is 
almost identical to that of the actual plant if you were to go after those terpenes. Mm -hmm. When I originally wanted to do an episode on CO2, I I reached out to my buddy Jay Horton, who uh, was in season one. He was the guest for the distillation SOPs episode. Jay in your city. Yeah, that's Jay. Yeah. Um, so I hit Jay up and I said, "Hey, man, I know you. Uh, you're a CO2 extractor. Who who is the best to talk to about this?" And and he said, "Man, the guys over at, at Lahua are killing it by being able to just nail these <laughs> these terpenes." Um, and so he, he recommended, I talk to, to Marlon Rando, which is you, um, and, uh, and, and and then I hit you up and was very excited to find out that you were a fan of the show and, uh, and, and here we are today, but yeah, that's a a little backstory on how you got here. Um, (laughs) but, but, but also, uh, you know, let, let's talk about that. How, how do you go about nailing these herps, uh, to just have the profile be identical to that of the flower? Oh, totally. Oh man. Um, well, I'm, I'm humbled. <laughs> um, so much, so much to learn still, you know? Um, so like when, when I got into processing is, you know, I'm a plant guy, I'm a cannabis person and is, I really was, it was when I was coming on into my own in the, in, in the career of extraction and like distillate was becoming a thing. And to me, it just, it was cool. I love the science of it. And, and we, do this still, but I was really focused on like preserving the intent uh, of the plant and nature that, you know, the, the intent imparted by the cultivator, um, the terroir, all of that. And, um, you know, kind of carrying it through the process is a bit of an ego trip to me that like people were, you know, into distillation and just going after THC when there's, it's just so much more to the plant. And, Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I mean, I've been in the industry long enough to get my ass kicked by, by, by it many times over. So, you know, I've been humbled a lot and, and just thinking that that plan is only good enough for THC. It was just never really vibed with me. So I, I was focused on, on preserve preservation. And, um, that's where I got into like, uh, looking at analyzing the difference between what you started with and what you ended up with. Um, and I just went down the rabbit hole. Um, and then Dr. Ethan Russo, um, who's, he's out of Seattle as well. Um, just getting to rub shoulders with him and all of his cohorts and our, our cannabis science community in, in Seattle, um, talking about the, the process of preserving the, the, the plant compounds and, and the chemovar, um, came up as a way to, to identify what that was that we're talking about, you know, the profile of cannabinoids, terpenoids, and, and to some extent flavonoids now. Um, so just being able to maintain that I've, I've noticed that, you know, CO2 got a bad rap early on. Let's, let's <laughs> call it for what it is because it all kind of tasted homogenous and tasted the same mm-hmm. and didn't matter what you start out with. You always ended up with the same thing. I was like, okay, there has to be something there. Um, so, you know, looking at the process and then understanding that the process is changing that profile, not, it's not the plant that is producing this homogenous CO2 oil. <laughs> so, um, so then I started to look at, okay, like these compounds, they want to, they want to come off at, they don't want to come off at the same time. Terpenes are light. They're, they're, you know, volatile. So they want to come off first. So let's, let's, let's dial in the method for the 
the end for the molecules that we're targeting and for the kind of end goal, which is to preserve them. So there's so much irony in it because in order to preserve the native chemovar, again, you kind of got to take it apart piece by piece and then put it back together. It's kind of Humpty Dumpty, but that's the way we do it. You know, we go and rip off the terpenes first and then run through your cannabinoids and then put it all back together. Hey, whatever it is that you're doing, you're doing something right. Yeah. You, know, I, you, you sent me a couple of uh, a couple of samples of, of what you're working with, and yep. I was incredibly impressed. Oh, thanks, man. I was super impressed by the uh, by the terpenes, just the pure, clear yeah. terpenes that you sent me. Um, yep. Very amazing there. And then, uh, you know, some of the oil that, that, that has the, these terps mixed back in with it, just yep. spot on. So well oh, done, you. sir. I definitely appreciate it. And, uh, and that was very cool stuff. Yeah, so thank you. Doing a good that's, job. That's maintaining the native chemovar and um, reducing chemovar drift. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now you've written an article about that, right? Yeah, several. Um, yeah, for Extraction Magazine, Mace, um, for um, ACS, done a lot of work there. Well, you're you're doing it well. Um, so now uh, let's jump into the uh, the post processing side of things. Even after doing fractional extraction. There, there is post-processing to be done based on what you're trying to do. So I know one of the big ones that Lahua and yourself work with um, are beverages, and you guys do a lot of nano emulsions. Yeah. So you've got infused beverages, even THC-infused K-cup coffee pods, which I was mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty surprised to see. Uh-huh. Uh, in order to put your oil into this stuff, you need to make it water-soluble. So Talk to us about how that works. Jeez, where do I start? It's for such a simple process. There's a lot of tech behind it. I mean, honestly, I I went to the pharma industry to get our tech. They've been doing it for decades, right? Like the majority of what they call APIs, active pharmaceutical ingredients, over 80% of them are lipophilic, uh, fat soluble. Um, So they need to find ways to deliver these drugs our, the technology we use is is right out of pharma. It's the same equipment that's used to make IV drugs and all a whole host of other drugs um, in pharma. So, is this something that you can share with us? What it is, or is it proprietary to your brands? Um, it's our. Everybody has their own way of of doing it. Um, I, I wish I could share more, but I can tell you it's not it's not patentable. When we looked at patents, this stuff is already it's. It's again, it's, it's been done in pharma. So it's not novel in the cannabis industry. Like it's new and people are, are touting, touting the many kind of novel benefits and all nano this, blah, blah, blah. I, when I first figured this out back 2014, um, we were the, I was the first person to contact this particular original equipment manufacturer, OEM who did pharmaceutical equipment and and take their technology and translate it over to a cannabis application. And in fact, I wrote the white paper on it with this particular manufacturer. Okay. Um, but it, this stuff, it, it's been around for a long time. Um, you know, it's homogenization, emulsification. There's a number of ways to do it from high pressure to um, sonication um, to high shear. Um, just to throw out some nuggets for people, you can go look those up and then it'll lead you down the, you can go down the rabbit hole on, on how to create these emulsions. Um, no spoons here as they put it on uh, 4200. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Love those guys. But some nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, and it's funny because like when when we first started doing it um, and working directly with the manufacturers, like of course our our investors and whatnot were like, oh, we need to patent this stuff and blah. I'm like, guys, like and gals, this isn't like we didn't create this. You know, we're just taking the technology and making it into a cannabis application, but we didn't invent this stuff. So. Um, but sure enough, they sent the patent team around to look at our, our technology. And while we were able to patent and protect one part of our business, the emulsion side was, um, I worked with a, a team of PhD, um, pharma people that, that wrote patents. Um, and they were like, yeah, this one, you're not going to be able to pre- to protect it's, it's already existing. Well, let's talk about what it is, well, yeah. how, how it works. So you, sure, you're, totally. you're taking oil that yep. you have extracted. Yep. Uh, are there any purification processes that you need to do to it before you can emulsify it? Um, so a lot of people like to work with distillate because it's just it's, it's easier because it's a higher purity fraction. We chose from a very early on uh, concept was to, was to work with full spectrum. Because you know, again, we're plant people, we're cannabis people, we're like full spectrums where it's at. So it's a little bit trickier, but yeah, we we refine it as far as far as we can, right up until somebody would take it to distillate. But we pull it back and keep it as full spectrum, and then we work with that as our as our base oil. Um, from there, it gets blended with surfactants, and there's a number of surfactants that are used again in pharma and throughout the food industry and processing industry that um, are well-suited for application. These surfactants are what typically cause that like nasty bitter taste that I am used to from whenever I see somebody says, oh, check out my Nano. Yeah, It's like, no, No, I don't want to check that out ever again. Yeah, totally. And the funny thing is too, like there's some equipment manufacturers that that sell the Nano equipment, emulsification equipment, and they're like, oh, it'll make your beverage taste better if you you Nano emulsify and create that. It, it, It makes it worse because what you're doing is you're breaking down the particle size and you're distributing those particles further across the palate. So it actually, what I've seen is that by creating a nano emulsion as opposed to like a macro emulsion or something a little larger, um, you intensify the flavor and the perception of bitterness. That said, cannabinoids are bitter. Mm-hmm. So you're working with a lot of bitter. And, and that's, that's the nature of highly pure fractions in general they from what i've seen is that they all tend to have this medicinal kind of bitter astringency to them in both the terp tonic and the voila beverages that you sent me i was blown away by how light everything was it wasn't over flavored to hide this bitterness and it was really really tasty like i would actually drink this stuff as a soda uh, if it didn't have any active ingredients in it. So I, that's, this is the first time I've ever experienced yeah. anything where I've, I've seen something like that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Um, it's, we, I mean, we've been working on it since 2015. They didn't always taste that good. <laughs> um, it's, it's just, uh, it's just a nature of, of iteration and just continuing to improve the product and the process. Um, it's it's easy to do like a, a low milligram micro dose. You can do that with a hand blender and the right surfactant formulation. Um, it's when you get up to the higher oil loads um, that it becomes really challenging from a flavor standpoint and a stability standpoint, um, et cetera. 
So it, you know, we launched with, with tens and then you, we got up to fifties and then it's like, okay, it's, it's kind of working. And then you keep doing more fifties. It's like, okay, we got a problem, pull it back. And it's like, okay, fix that. You get up to fifties, then you get up to hundreds. And this is in, you know, 330 ML or your typical beer, beer package size, 11 to 12 fluid ounce um, package. And then you get up to a hundred and it's like, holy shit. Okay. We got a problem. Excuse my language. <laughs> and then you got to look for more solutions. Right. Um, so then, then we figured it out. And then for, for a moment we were, you know, put make manufacturing 250 milligrams. We, heck we could have done 500 milligrams in, in 11.2 fluid ounces if we wanted to. But, um, well, if I, if I try that, that hundred milligram one, I'm going to have some other problems. It's not going to be taste. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a lightweight. Oh man! Well, that I mean, literally a thimble full of the hundreds, and you're 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 feeling it for for the day. <laughs> what is the actual? What does the product look like? The uh, surfactant treated oil that the after you finish that process on it before mm-hmm. it gets added into your beverage. Yeah. What does that look like? So we create. Um, I guess I can talk about this now. We create a, a concentrate. Um, so we take water and we do a, a ratio, a serial dilution of the oil and surfactant formula. And then we run that through the emulsion process. Um, you know, we start with a crude emulsion, then we get into our, our more nano emulsions. And just like anything in the lab, it's a multi-step process. Um, it's not one and done. Um, and that's how you get down to your, your relief fine nano particle size, if you will. And that looks like a milk, basically. Okay. And that is upwards of 100 milligrams per gram of concentrate. So like we've had people that are, we've had some lab techs that have like, weren't wearing their PPE that day and they get a splash in their eye and they, they got to go home because they're high <laughs> as a kite. <laughs> they can't operate heavy machinery anymore. Um, that said too, you know, it's transdermal too. So you got to be careful about getting that stuff on your skin and whatnot. Okay. Well, it looks like a possible new product line there then. Oh man, believe me. Well, we, we, the powders too, right? We take that, we turn that into a powder <laughs> and you, you can see where that goes. Um, yeah, I've seen, I've actually seen some stuff in the news about that and the, the industry got quite outraged when people were trying to, to, to tout canna bumps as the next best thing. Yeah, I know. Um, so that you've got this, this, this milk or this powder and that's what you add it, add into the, the various products. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll dose out and it's, it's, it's crazy, Jay, how, how accurate you can get with dosing. Um, I mean, we're nailing our potencies to like, um, I mean, I've produced th- literally thousands of batches and have never blown a batch as long as our analytical on the concentrate is on on point, then we know that every time we we batch a tank, whether you know it's it's one barrel or a hundred barrels, it's gonna be it's gonna be spot on. And to, that that always amazes me when we get the lab results back and it's like ten milligrams per package, like spot on. And you know, out of a thousand plus units, you know, you're able to to do that. That that amazes me because there's so much work that goes into it up until that point, and you kind of bite your nails hoping. Um, that you're going to be able to nail it. Well, yeah, if you don't, the whole batch is trash. Yeah. I mean, when it's in a bottle, you can't like open the bottle and rejigger it. It's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So I've heard some issues with these, uh, nanomulsified beverages. If they get hot in shipping or in storage or anything like that, having it kind of fall out of solution. Is that something that you guys run into? 
Um, in the early days, yeah, but nowadays, no, it's not. That's not an issue. I, I have some of the oldest retained samples of cannabis emulsions that that I know of in the industry. From you know, again, we started two thousand fifteen, so I have stuff that sat around in my lab has retained for that long, and it's. I would drink it. <laughs> yeah, it still okay. looks pretty good. Um, a little right. bit of separation at that point, but you, you know, a little, sh- a little shake or whatnot, and it it resuspends. It's not completely crashing out. Gotcha. Um, yeah, early. I think it's that's the result of just early, early market formulators and people that are new to it that just haven't had the experience. Maybe not in in cannabis is its own thing. I mean, you you can't take um exactly what's done in pharma or food science for that matter um and translate it over can- cannabinoids and think that it's going to work exactly the same it just it just doesn't there's there's a lot of nuance to it okay uh, just uh something i figured i'd add for for all you folks listening out there these uh these beverages while he describes the milk as the concentrate are crystal clear and beautiful and and fantastic so it's worth giving them a shot yeah uh thanks yeah yeah absolutely so to to wrap things up a little bit here let's uh let's talk about what you got in the pipeline so for lahua brands or for yourself do you have any any interesting new projects in the works that we may see the fruits of this year no man tons um for in the in the pipeline that's pretty much what i do now is r&d um more more jealous people out there <laughs> it's been a long time coming man and it's been a constant f- battle to get our organization to support that sort of vision you know mm-hmm. but it's where it's we are who we are because of our commitment early on to innovation and, and r&d and competing and all these things it's mm-hmm. so to it's been a you know you earned it yeah, we, we got acquired uh, in 2019, so new man, new corporate management and whatnot, which has been amazing. But again, like we have to remind people of why we are who we are and, and sustain that commitment. So yeah, fortunately, I've been able to deliver that message and get get it backed. <laughs> well done. So so they, they keep me on the bench as much as possible, which is amazing. Um, so anyways... <laughs> Sorry for the long-windedness. Um, I'm working on coffee. Um, we we launched that product in Washington, um, so bringing it down here, we solved uh, a number of issues with the coffee. Number one is delivering the cannabinoids to through the brewed cup. A lot of our competitors weren't able to do that. They're just using old-school food science techniques that don't have the sort of stability that's required to make it through the brewing process, make it through the filters, and then deliver 10 milligrams of THC in your final brood cup. So we've solved that problem years ago. So our coffee works, gets you high, tastes delicious. Um, so that's something that's really exciting for me. I, I love coffee. Yeah. I haven't had the chance to try one of those yet. I uh, Since since the time I received it, uh, there there hasn't been a good day where with my, my morning cup of coffee, I could commit to that. It's, it's a fun product. Um, it don't don't judge me on that because that that sample is about a year old. So coffee is better fresh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. And we haven't rolled it out yet here in California, so I don't have production up and running. So I gave you one of the older samples. But hey, I'm, I'm sure it, it tastes okay. <laughs> I'm sure every everything that I've seen so far has tasted fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Um, so coffee is one. Dabables is another one. I'm super stoked about. Um, I've. I have a process for like this ethanol live resin I'm working on, uh, beautiful sugary 
dab texture, terp rich. Um, so that I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, and then a shot product, um, it's like a 50 ml, 100 meg shot product, kind of like a 5R energy. All right. Um, so working on that one. Immediate lack um, of energy. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't do the the can of bumps because uh, we I, I had that tech a while ago and we were seriously thinking about rolling it out under a brand called like Weed Freaks, which had like <laughs> can of bumps in it. It had like a, a high zine, which is like a put the red in kind of deal. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to do a like a strain specific sex lube. I think that'd be interesting. Like a cushion for the push-in kind of deal. <laughs> it's a different kind of afterglow. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like if you really like OG Kush, like put your nose in it kind of deal. Like it tastes, it's kind of like Terp Tonic meets KY Jelly. You know, I think that'd be, that'd be awesome. Oh, what a wonderful time to be alive. <laughs> Try to explain this one to your folks, right? It's like, oh, you don't even know what they're doing with weed these days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's that, yeah that's about it jay i think you know it's pretty boring i'm just yeah pretty boring in the lab yeah. you know throwing 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 spaghetti at the wall <laughs> nice well uh now that things are opening back up a little bit you plan to hit the trade show and conference circuit this this year much yeah totally um there's so much learning to be had and just rubbing shoulders with cool people and and kindred spirits and whatnot it's it's awesome i'm looking forward to it for sure well, you're all plugged in with Mace Media. Uh, I know that they're, I'll be at the Extraction Expo uh, September 31st and October 1st here in LA. Totally. And uh, that's that's an awesome conference. Actually, the first time that, that uh, you ever kind of came on my radar was from Concentration 2019, mm -hmm. which is the Extraction Expo is that. They just changed the name. Uh, yep. So, yeah, that's, uh, I, I would like to, to finally get the chance to shake your hand out there. Oh, totally. As you said, um, we're still paying off the credit cards from that first one. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's what happens when they have it at Paula Casino and uh, you just get a, yep. get a bunch of animals in the, in the weed industry together. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely recommend it. Um, the best for extractors. I mean, you can't even compare any of the other industry events and, and expos for, for extraction specific. It's amazing. Yeah, it'll be a fun event. Um, so the, the premise of me starting this show was uh, more so to help extractors improve their processes and the quality of their products than it was to really just cover the space. Uh, with season three, I'm moving into a little bit more of covering the space because we've already walked our way through a lab two times. Um, I was very excited to get you on to cover CO2, which I have neglected to cover thus far. So if you could give a couple of tips uh, to, to the folks out there that are working with CO2 machines and, and doing CO2 extractions, what would be the best advice you could give them to improve their processes? Yeah, if you're not fractionating, um, that's the biggest thing I could say. Um, once we got into fractionation, um, ripping off terpenes, targeting neutrals and acidic separately, that just changed the game. Um, so definitely fractionate, fractionate, fractionate. Um, the other tip I would give is cold makes gold. Um, so when you're going after your terp fractions, if you can hook up an ancillary chiller to your column um, and get your pumping system to work, it, it takes a little bit of finagling, depending if you're in liquid or gaseous phase and what sort of system you're running. Um, if you can chill down your column and, and do that extraction cold for terpenes, you're just going to get a better profile of terpenes. 
Um, and same goes with your separators. You don't need a lot of heat on the separators, hardly any. The pressure differential um, is enough to to um, distill off or or um, sublimate off your CO2 and get that sort of terpene separation that you need without denaturing the terpene fraction. So yeah, fractionate and cold makes gold. Those two um, should, if you're not doing them, definitely jump on board. All right. That's some good advice. So uh, personal question time. Mm -hmm. You produce a wider range of products than anybody else I've interviewed on the show. Uh, Out of all the different stuff that you make, which one's your favorite to partake in? Oh, that's a tough one. They're like my children, you know, like how do you choose the the favorite? Um, I I love the Terp Tonic. That's always been my baby. It's not for everybody because not everybody loves the taste of weed and not, but that said, everybody has this, a lot of people have this concept that weed tastes bad and it doesn't. It's just how it's made. Like weed can taste really good. Um, so for me, it's the, the Terp Tonic. There's nothing, nothing like it. It's zero calorie sugar-free, literally fresh brewed cannabis, water, and carbonation. Um, and like I said, the cool thing about the Terp Tonic is we are taking that gaseous phase terpene fraction um, right out of our CO2 machine, and that's what's used to carbonate the product. Um, it's That product has – it's amazing. So, Jay, that, that product you tried is over two years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and it still tastes – and smells as fresh as the day we bottled it. And that's because the the bottle environment and that kind of, that aqueous uh, environment devoid of oxygen, right? Because it's, it's CO2 rich, is just really good at preserving terpenes. It's crazy. Um, and that, and it's sellers too. Like not only is it, is, 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 is it fresh tasting, it also, it, what I've noticed with that particular batch that we did, it cellared really nice and, and kind of sweetened up and it, the edges got taken off of it over, over time. Nice. So it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, you got vintages, small batch, it's all native. Um, and you can drink it to your heart's content and not have to worry about the sugar, which we all drink enough sugar. Yeah. Now is this <laughs> after, after, uh, that description of it, I know there's going to be people out there looking for it. Is this something that you can still buy or is this something that is just your, your personal collection? Unfortunately, it's personal right now, but we are going to be, um, it's on the product roadmap um, for our launch this fall. So just stay tuned. I am looking for cultivators that want to co-brand on it. Um, so anybody out there listening that wants to put their flower in a bottle um, and drink it, um, hit me up. I'd love to work with you. Uh, this man will get you an accurate representation of the flower that you've uh, put your blood, sweat, and tears into making. Yep. It's pretty cool. Like when you do like a tangy or something fruity, the, the skunkier, dank, gassier kind of flavors. I mean, think of like a hop water that it's can be a little bitter and, and not for everybody, but the fruitier flavors, man, all day long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to bring that up earlier about, about hops, you know, it's the same family of plants. So, and, and people are dry hopping beers all the time. And this is just yep. like some, some next level, dry hoppage right you know yep. you're just oh totally injecting it, it in. A, yeah i mean it was a no-brainer for us to do that product um yeah that's great i mean people were always asking about do you have a sugar-free because you know we, we're known for our craft soda and they're always like oh it's got too much sugar i'm like well okay try this you know nice yeah all right so 
with this uh, this industry that you're you're making so much progress in here, what are you what are you most excited that the future may have to hold? Um, it's, I mean, the easy one is the, the technology advancements. Um, every day there's a new new extraction method coming out or technology, um, and then seeing current methods scale. I mean, what's happening in the hemp space is is incredible. I mean, we'll see like quality has, you know, it's kind of suffering a little bit on that side, in my opinion. Um, but the scale is is pretty cool to see um, that we, we don't see on the rec side as much. So I'm looking forward to really seeing the rec side, uh, the THC side, really scale up um, as that industry grows. Oh, yeah. Oklahoma is going to be on the forefront of that one. It's uh, They're growing like crazy out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a wild time coming up here soon. Yeah, man. So if people want to get a hold of you, man, how uh, what's the best way to reach out? How do they get you? So um, probably hit me up on the Insta or the Gram is the best way. Um, I'm at Marlin, M-A-R-L-I-N, like the fish, underscore Rando, R-A-N-D-O, like random. So I'm kind of the random fish guy, at Marlin Rando. You'll see a fantastic photo of you in a lab coat. I love it. <laughs> uh, you're, you're one of my favorite Instagram pictures. Oh, thanks. Got to look the part, right? <laughs> well, uh, Randy Reed, co-founder of Lahua Brands and uh, all-around CO2 boss. Thanks for joining us on The Modern Extractor. Oh, thanks for having me, Jay. It's my pleasure. All right. Thanks again to Randy for joining us today. If you want to get a hold of him, hunt him down on Instagram at Marlin underscore Rando. That's at M-A-R-L-I-N underscore R-A-N-D-O. The Modern Extractor recently teamed up with Mace Media Group as a podcast partner to cover the Extraction Expo. Mace publishes Extraction Magazine and Terpenes and Testing Magazine and produces some fantastic conferences, including one of my favorites, the Extraction Expo. This year's expo is coming up September 30th through October 1st at the LAX Marriott in Los Angeles. It's the only trade show or conference completely dedicated to extraction. All the exhibitors are pertinent to the extraction business, and all the speakers and panel discussions are really targeted at us. It's the best networking and educational event specific to our industry, and modern extractor listeners are eligible for half-price tickets. I'll be there with a booth interviewing exhibitors, speakers, and interesting guests, handing out swag, and doing my modern extractor thing to cover the latest and greatest in the industry. So come hunt me down and shake my hand. Ticket sales and information about the expo are available at extractionexpo.net. When you go to purchase your tickets, don't forget to enter our promo code MODX to get them for half price. That's M-O-D-E-X. No spaces. I'll see you at the expo. As always, if you want to hear about something specific on the show, let me know. Email me, jason at modernextractor.com. Make sure to follow the show on Instagram at the underscore modern underscore extractor. If you guys like the show, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. The more subscribers and the better reviews that we get, the better guests I can keep booking for you here in the future. Stay tuned for next week when I sit down with the master of hash, Frenchie Cannoli. We'll get into some of Frenchie's SOPs to make his world-renowned hashish and cover some hash history and amazing tales of his travels and work in producing countries. A big thanks to Isada Venegas for handling business on the show's social media and a shout-out to the New Fools for bringing the funk to the Mod X theme song. Thanks again to everybody for tuning in to The Modern Extractor. 
New episodes are out every Tuesday. I'm Jason Shower. Let's talk soon. 